welcome to A Reason for Hope. My name is Adrian. I'm in here in studio with our senior pastor, Scott Richards. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. Can't wait to dive in today. Lots to talk about. Lots, lots, yeah. lots. Well, as uh, you all may know, well, happy Monday, first of all. Thank you for joining us. And if you're new to the live stream, this is a weekday Bible answer program where we take questions from you, the audience, about the Bible, about the Christian worldview, about how faith and uh, life work out together. So if you have a question about a particular passage in Scripture, or perhaps you're a skeptic and you're wondering, how do these guys think that Christianity is true, or is Christianity just a mental crutch, or we all believe it because we were raised this way? <laughs> well, what's wrong with us, right? <laughs> so if you have a question about, uh, about the faith, about the Bible, uh, about how your, your own spiritual journey uh, please ask. And there's multiple ways you can do that. You can join us online by simply joining the live stream. We live stream to multiple platforms simultaneously, so you can join us on Facebook. Just go to facebook.com forward slash at CCF Tucson. That is our handle for Facebook, and you can join us on our Facebook page. Just join the live stream, use the comment section to leave a question, and we will get those questions throughout the program. If we miss your question, we'll, of course, we, we catalog these and try to get to them the next day if we can. We also live stream to YouTube, so if you want to join us there, you can. And if you do visit us in some of these social media platforms during the, the live stream, please uh, do us a favor and subscribe. And of course, hit that notification bell. We live stream all of our services here as well. So please do that if you have a chance. Uh, like, subscribe, subscribe, share. Uh, the more engagement you can do, the, the more it helps us reach more people. So uh, please do that. And our YouTube channel handle is A Reason for Hope 546. That's at A Reason for Hope 546. We catalog, or I should say archive, our live stream episodes um, here on Rumble as well. So if you happen to catch us there, uh, you can follow us. And we archive them based on the three top questions asked during that program. So it's very easy to navigate through, even if you go back to YouTube or Facebook after the fact. When we're not live, you can catch all of our questions. If you have a question that you thought, well, have we answered this already in the past? You can easily browse through there and check it out. If you want to avoid social media altogether, you can go to our website. That's CalvaryChristianFellowship.com and hit the Watch Live tab. Not only can you watch our services and this program, A Reason for Hope, you can use the little comment box and ask your questions there. We also have a nifty little prayer button, so if you want to give us a little prayer request we'd be happy to go before the Lord on your behalf and we also have an app so if you haven't had a chance to check it out if you're listening and you're a part of our community we'd encourage you to download the app just go to the Apple or Google Play Store and search for Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson look for that little Dove logo and you can download the app where you can know what's going on in our community through our community calendar which is the get connected section of the app you also can listen to past uh, messages, uh, themes throughout the Bible. We teach book by book, so if you want to go through a book of the Bible, verse by verse with Pastor Scott, you can do that. It's a really awesome way to teach. We also have in the app a nifty digital Bible where you can leave notes and highlight texts, and it's a really just everything in contained in one little app. So you can join chat groups and start chat groups and uh, so much more so we encourage you to download that <clears throat> if you want to ask a question more discreetly you can do so by simply emailing us as well questions for hope at gmail.com for your listening on the radio it's questions for hope all spelled out no numbers at gmail.com and last but not least 
please, uh, I'd encourage you to follow our senior pastor, Scott Richards, on Twitter. Uh, I, I assume it's going to remain that name for a little bit longer. <laughs> <laughs> no. It's a, uh, honest to goodness, it has officially changed its name to X. Oh, it is official. Which wow. sounds to me, my I first heard that, all I could think of was uh, those uh, black and white cheesy monster movies from about 1962. <laughs> X. The platform that ate yeah. social media. <laughs> something wow. they'd have on Mystery Science Theater 3000 I know, or something. Some but kind of paranormal my, experience that we're I, I, have. I, I put this on our Twitter feed, and you all you want to follow our Twitter feed, uh, feel free. We still call it that. Um, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if uh, that means that all posts on this platform are now X-rated. I know. Uh, it's I've, very confused. Don't encourage anyone but, to do a search for it. But <laughs> I, I'm not prophesying here, but I'm hearing words like new Coke being used to refer to this uh, shift. Now, I know that Elon Musk does SpaceX, and I think he's trying to bring it all under one roof uh, using that. Um, you know, I, I'm X lax, I I don't know, it's, it's but uh, but the, the the long and the short of it is uh, I'm not prophesying here. This is not thus saith or anything, but I get the distinct feeling the backlash against this and the torrential uh, tidal waves of sarcasm that are greeting this are probably going to result in a, a reversion back to Twitter as we knew it within two weeks. I wouldn't be surprised, and anyone. Uh, don't, would... don't, don't, don't quote me there, but uh, that—that's my take. Yeah. Well, if you want to join, whatever the website's going to be called, and um, follow our our feed, uh, it's very entertaining as well as informative, and you can do so by searching for Pastor Scott's handle, which is at Scott R four H. That's at Scott R four H. And uh, now to the news. Before we take any questions, we have prophecy update but uh, before we do any of that we are going to take a moment to pray and ask the lord to be with us and bless our time together first things first i think Amen. very important yeah. uh, father i thank you that we can welcome your presence here and isn't it an amazing thing lord that mm -hmm. that you not only hear our prayers but you desire to speak to us through your amazing word and so lord the only thing that gets in the way of that communication is uh what's going on with our heart, I think of uh, a, a internet friend of mine, Daryl Harrison, who uh, posted something that was really profound, Lord. And it's not the hard truths aren't aren't hard to understand. It's the hardness of our hearts that make them hard truths. So we pray that you would soften our hearts today, and that you would speak to us uh, specifically and deeply and personally uh, about where we stand with you, what uh, what you would like to change within our lives. If there's anyone within the sound of our voices that is on the outside looking in at a love relationship with you, I pray that you would draw them to yourself, not by might or power, by clever argument, but by your Holy Spirit during this time. Thank you, Lord, that we have this opportunity to be able to look into this priceless, precious gift that you give to us, your word that's the lamp unto our feet and light unto our path, especially in challenging times like these. Uh, we give you this time, and we welcome you here in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm, amen. Well, um, a lot in the news. Uh, I'm I'm picking up speed, learning about what's going on in Israel right now. But uh, why don't you break it down for us? 
Yeah, uh, well, as uh, you know, if you're a regular follower here on uh, A Reason for Hope, uh, Israel has gone through some incredibly, incredibly tumultuous times as far as uh, their government is concerned. For you know, years, uh, it was uh, almost impossible uh, for any kind of lasting uh, governing coalition to be put together in Israel. The, uh, the way Israeli government works, it's a parliamentary system more like Great Britain than the United States. Uh, and in order for someone to become prime minister, the leader of Israel, uh, you have to be able to cobble together uh, more than uh, 60 members of the Jewish Knesset. There's 120 members. And so you have to have 61 people of uh, these representatives supporting you. And if you do, then you can form a government. Well, as you can imagine, uh, putting together uh, a coalition like that's like herding cats. Uh, everybody's got their own personal agendas and their own access to grind and their own coalitions that they have to keep happy. And so... Because they're not limited to a two-party system. No, it's multi, multi so it has to be a coalition uh, of multiple parties. Tonight. Right, and and some parties are so small they have like four representatives that are wow. are represented in the Knesset. Uh, but the largest voting blocks, the Likud party that Benjamin Netanyahu uh, heads up, uh, is uh, is uh, is the the uh, I guess the main uh, foundation stone for the current government. They have 62 representatives in their coalition. And once that was achieved, after all of these backs and forths and governments failing for lack of confidence and so on, uh, one of the things that Benjamin Netanyahu wanted to do was to engage in what's called judicial reform. That is, the uh, way that the Jewish government had come together was over the years, the judiciary branch of the Jewish government uh, began to gain more and more power, so much so that if, say, the Knesset, the parliament, passed a bill, uh, the, uh, the Jewish Supreme Court could reject that bill and throw it out, not on the basis of analyzing it uh, constitutionally or on the basis of law or precedent, but the only standard was one of reasonableness. Now, as you can imagine, a word that is that vague is definitely in the eye of the beholder. So one of the things that, uh, that Benjamin Netanyahu set out to do was to remove that standard of reasonableness as uh, the, the qualification for being able to throw out a uh, duly elected and supported uh, bill that would pass the Knesset. Well, y as you can probably imagine uh, that didn't sit well with individuals that uh, believe in government control and so on and, and uh, certainly wanted to keep uh, this Likud party which tends to be center right in its orientation they wanted to keep it under a leash and the best way they could do that was to have a judiciary that was to the left uh, using this standard of reasonableness to be able to throw out any kind of bills they thought were excessive and so on so uh, 
you know, again, Netanyahu uh, attempted to uh, revisit this, to uh, get involved with judicial reform. Interestingly, our government got involved with it, started uh, uh, voicing uh, our concerns about that, our opposition to judicial reform, uh, saying things like, well, this isn't the time to do that because Israel's got so many enemies. Well, when doesn't Israel have enemies? But uh, the, the bottom line was, as a result of this, a number of protests got going that were remarkably similar uh, to the Black Lives Matter protests we saw in this country. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, uh, the, uh, there are some really interesting articles, uh, for instance, in the Jerusalem Post, uh, where one uh, rabbi who was writing commentary on this said that he went down and was talking with the protesters and asking them what they were protesting, what this was all about. And most of them were kind of stumped. Uh, all of them said, well, you know, we just heard that there was going to be this happening going on here. They were giving us Israeli flags. They were feeding us. Uh, we were having this party down here. And they told us all we had to do was show up at this time and say that we're against uh, this bill. And they didn't even, couldn't even really articulate why they were against uh, the bill. So uh, the, the, the bottom line was this thing kind of caught fire and caught fire to the point where uh, certain members of the Israeli Defense Forces uh, who were on reserve said that if uh, Benjamin Netanyahu and his coalition passed judicial reform, they were not going to serve if they were called up. Well, you can imagine uh, how that made people in Lebanon, like Hezbollah, uh, gleeful with delight in the Jerusalem Post today. Uh, there's an article that uh, where Hassan Nasrallah, the head of uh, Hezbollah and a wholly owned subsidiary of the Mad Mullahs in Iran, was gleefully saying that all this shows is that Israel is about to destroy itself by way of civil war. Now, is this a civil war? What is really this judicial reform all about? Well, uh, a number of different comments on a really helpful article on it is uh, found in All Israel News Today, which is uh, the uh, website that Joel Rosenberg, our good friend and uh, prophecy expert, uh, put together. Uh, and uh, in this article, uh, Daily Wire host uh, and co-founder Ben Shapiro uh, was quoted, a post that he put up. He said this, the current Israeli government had to pass the judicial reform. It is incredibly, all in caps, mild. It merely says that the judiciary cannot simply declare a law unconstitutional in a land with no written constitution on the basis of it being unreasonable. So you're saying something's unconstitutional, you don't have a written constitution, you're pretty much saying, I don't like this, I'm a member of the Jewish Supreme Court, it's out. He continued, imagine the Supreme Court in the United States routinely striking down popularly passed legislation without citing anything but their own view, or whether such legislation is, quote, reasonable. No legal arguments, no citations of a written text, no authority, nothing. That's the, the situation currently. Well, today, uh, on a 62 to nothing vote, now you say, well, wait a minute, I thought there were 120 members of the Knesset. Why was it passed 62 to nothing? Well, the opposition walked out without voting uh, wow. as a protest. But the bill passes and uh, essentially just removes this standard of reasonableness as a valid uh, reason for uh, rejecting a duly passed bill uh, by the Knesset. So, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the, the big issue that, uh, that comes up 
is, okay, how divisive is this going to be in Israel? Is this the result of, say, outside agitators and individuals that are funding these sort of protests? Uh, are the vast majority of people that are involved with these protests sincere? We, we really don't know. I do know this, that there was an article in the Jerusalem Post that showed that the protesters attempted to block entrance to the Knesset so that the vote could not wow. happen. You want to talk about an insurrection, mm. that's one right there. That's trying to shut down government. But the other thing that was interesting to me was they estimated that uh, in Jerusalem there were, uh, in Tel Aviv, there were roughly 100,000 uh, anti-judicial uh, reform protesters. But they were met with over 300,000 pro-judicial reform mm. protesters. So things are really stirred up around there. Add to this... Last weekend, Benjamin Netanyahu, the Prime Minister of Israel, was hospitalized. They weren't saying why he was hospitalized. Turns out that uh, he has a heart condition. They had to put in a pacemaker. Hmm. So a lot going on in Israel right now. And one of the things that uh, strikes me is very, very interesting here is how much longer a group like uh, Hezbollah, which, as we've shared with you all before, has uh, uh, sophisticated rocketry numbering the hundreds of thousands they could use to turn on Israel. Their strategy, you know, well, what about the Iron Dome defense system? Doesn't that work? Yeah, it works until you run out of Iron Dome missiles to shoot down rockets. So their strategy would be to just inundate Israel with drones and rockets until the uh, Iron Dome defense systems mm. ran out of gas, so to speak. Mm. There is a rumor and I can only call it a rumor at this point because some of the sources uh, that talk about this, you know, they've been right about some things. They haven't been right about other things. Uh, some of these rumors have come from some Internet sites that some people believe are run by the Mossad, which may be information sources, but also disinformation sources, mm -hmm. much like our CIA uh, would, would do. But one of the things that has been mentioned is the fact that Israel has developed a laser-based system for shooting down incoming missiles. Wow. Uh, and if that's the case, you don't have to, you know, rearm it or, you know, put in more anti-missile missiles and so on. Just point and click. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I'm sure that Israel, uh, strategically, because of the potential danger of an inter uh, ICBM-style strike, a ballistic missile strike from Iran, uh, would want to keep that kind of technology in its back pocket and out of sight as much as possible, much like we did with our stealth bombing technology. Uh, I saw a fascinating uh, a, a documentary on Area 51, believe it or not. Uh, and uh, it was on Nat Geo, and it wasn't, you know, I mean, it only obliquely mentioned some guy who said that he was working there to, uh, you know, retrofit uh, alien technology. But they explained why the security around there is so tight. And one of the things that made their security there so tight was uh, back in the late 60s, that's where uh, they developed the U-2 spy plane, mm -hmm. which was cutting edge technology. The SR-71 Blackbird uh, was developed there uh, that could cruise at 70,000 feet at you know, Mach 4 or something like that and take pictures. You know, Satellite technology sort of replaced those, but that was also where our stealth technology was developed. And uh, in, in order to keep that stealth technology under wraps as long as possible, we finally unveiled it, even though it had been around for a few years, 
uh, during Operation Desert Storm uh, to be able to go in and bomb Iraq and you know not be visible on radar and such. So you know when governments like Israel might have some of these more sophisticated weapons, they certainly don't want to put them on the table. Part of the chess game in that region would be Iran using a proxy like Hezbollah to be able to attack Israel, not just because their Muslim uh, Quran tells them that Jews need to be exterminated, uh, but also because they want to find out what cards Israel is holding when the big showdown between Iran and Israel actually takes place. And that is loaded with prophetic implications, uh, especially mm-hmm. in light of Ezekiel chapters 38 and 39. So uh, what we're seeing there is, is a lot of this jockeying around a lot of this happening uh, with Israel so divided right now, uh, they don't have, say, the luxury of having two large oceans separating us from our primary enemies. Although I understand that uh, China is in the process of building a large uh, facility in Cuba right now to be able to spy on the United States and do their thing over there. So that's changing a bit, 90 miles across the uh, strait to Florida to get there. But uh, suffice it to say, Israel's got enemies on essentially every border. Uh, Jordan uh, behaves. Uh, Obviously, Egypt has a peace treaty with Israel, but uh, you've got uh, Islamic Jihad, you've got Hamas in Gaza, uh, you have Hezbollah in Lebanon, you have uh, the Syrians who hate Israel with a purple passion up there, and, you know, just across the border from Syria, you've got the Iranians. So uh, Israel's definitely in a dicey set of circumstances, and we really need to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We need to be praying that uh, cooler heads prevail on this particular issue. Uh, We need to be praying for unity among God's people. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sometimes we could add, and rare. you know, it's it's uh, a, a very opinionated country, as we can see even by the makeup of the Knesset, a very divided country as far as people's mm-hmm. uh, political leanings go, even probably more so than we are in the United States. Mm-hmm. But uh, in light of all of this, we definitely need to be praying for God's protection over Israel. We need to be praying for the leadership uh, to be wise along the, these lines. Uh, we need to uh, be praying that even uh, those that are saying, uh, well, if I'm called up, I won't serve, especially in the Israeli Air Force, these reservists, uh, that they'll uh, think through all this. And one thing I think we will see if there is uh, kind of this uh, prompting and response from one of Israel's enemies, uh, one of the things that you will see is, uh, in spite of all the division, Israel will probably unify in a New York minute mm-hmm. uh, because they realize that existential threat. Yeah. But uh, that's what's going on there. It's mm. pretty heavy stuff. It is. and that. This legislation that just passed is a dumbed-down version. Originally, they wanted to change the succession as well. the The judges were yeah. just appointed their own successors. Well, and and, and, and they to shift to it, that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, to shift that so that the Knesset, in a, in essence, appoints the judges in this system. That is still on the table. Mm-hmm. But uh, from what I've seen. Uh, Benjamin Netanyahu is going to take his victory and uh, postpone any further movement along this line, probably till November. Hmm. Not moving very fast now, on that at all. Now, hasn't the Biden administration seemed to, the, the impression we get in the media here in the West is that the, the, the people don't want this. 
you know, when you mentioned 300,000 supporters in favor of changing the way their judicial branch right. operates, we don't hear that here. I, it was even news to me, and I've been really trying to understand what's been going on and and uh, why why does the Western media have such a siding with those who are protesting against these changes? Well, including um, the Biden Biden you know, and one thing I really have to share with you all, and again, I have a professional background working in radio and television. I was the news director of a radio station at one point. I uh, was named the Associated uh, Press Contributor of the Month for Arizona six straight months uh, from stories that I was doing out of Sierra Vista, believe it or not. you got to really dig to find stories in Sierra Vista that, that would warrant that, that attention. But, uh, you know, the Associated, I, you know, contributed stories to the Associated Press. And, and uh, when I was in journalism school, it was taught that, uh, boy, if you let any opinion of yours sneak into a story that you were writing uh that was uh, right up there with slurping your soup or belching at the dinner table you just did not do that mm. you could get fired for such a thing but now we've seen a shift towards what's called advocacy journalism i believe it began with walter cronkite mm. spinning what was going on in the tet offensive in vietnam the tet offensive was not a great victory for the north vietnamese as a matter of fact it was kind of a rout but uh, Walter Cronkite uh, spun it by saying, well, you know, this, the war's over. There's no way we'll, we'll ever win. You know, this is, and, you know, later on, it just comes out that that was entirely his opinion. Uh, but because he was the most trusted name in news, that's the way it is, as he would say, um, you know, people believed it. And uh, one of the things that, that you discover is this advocacy journalism is another way of saying, okay, what are we advocating in this journalism? Uh, it's a nicer way of saying that what we are pushing on you are not the facts of what's going on, the who, what, where, when, why, and how, uh, but our spin on those facts to support a particular political agenda or point of view. Uh, this used to be called propaganda, and that's really, uh, I, I would say, you know, when you take a look at uh, the stuff that you see on television, uh, the, the uh, stuff especially you see on social media, you gotta understand, everybody's got a spin. Nobody is there just to tell you the facts. Even you know the sources that we tend to quote, like the Jerusalem Post, they tend to have more of a left-leaning spin on things. All Israel News, uh, Joel Rosenberg would be the first one to say that their bias is towards a biblical worldview in terms of how they present things. Now, I tend to think that on all Israel news, you're going to get more of the straight story because one of the values of having a Judeo-Christian worldview is telling the truth, mm. even when that truth is uncomfortable. And I, I really commend uh, Joel and all Israel news for you know, telling the truth about Israel, even when uh, that's not really positive, telling the truth about what's going on uh, with uh, Benjamin Netanyahu's government, even when that is not, uh, in essence, a, a good thing, mm. uh, you know. And, and so y you get that. But, you know, the one thing that we have to understand is that we as human beings all have an inherent bias. You're biased, Adrian. I'm biased. All God's children are biased. We all have a worldview. We all have lenses by which we look at the world and process information and that's all well and good when you and i are sitting here on a podcast like this we're not telling you hey you know here's the news we're, we're telling you hey from a prophetic point of view which is a bias 
I'll be the first one to tell you that. Mm-hmm. Uh, from a pro- prophetic point of view, this is significant. The fact that we are pro-Israel. Uh, nobody watching this broadcast should probably find that shocking or amazing. <laughs> uh, you know, it's in essence a bias. The fact that uh, we refer to the leadership in Iran as the Mad Mullahs, that right there is a bias. But we're more of a commentary show rather than someone that's giving you the news, the facts, if you will. And so, you know, one of the things that I think we see and uh, the root of all of this, and it's so important for us to understand just as far as spiritual warfare is concerned, is that uh, since I've been in school, there's been an agenda uh, that, that has pushed forward this idea of uh, relativistic thinking that nothing's really right nothing's really wrong but thinking makes it so uh you've got an opinion i've got an opinion all people got opinions they're all equally valid there's no such thing as truth with a capital t it's just a question of values clarification you know what Mm. seems right to you which always struck me as really interesting because one of the most dismal chapters of Israel's experience that you'll find in the Bible was the book of Judges, where this refrain is repeated. There was no king in Israel. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. Well, this has gone down the road to the point where, you know, no longer do we have news outlets that are telling you exactly what's going on. They are pushing a spin. Uh, Sometimes that spin is direct, and it just goes into uh, them editorializing the middle of a story. Sometimes it comes into editorial decisions like uh, we're going to run this story and we're not going to run this other story. You know, for instance, on if you get your news from the major alphabet networks, you would never know, for instance, that there were two whistleblowers that came forward and talked about the fact that uh, Joe Biden and his family were treated differently by the, IR de- uh, the IRS and the Department of Justice, even though there was a congressional hearing about this. It wasn't reported on. Hmm. You know, you can agree or disagree with their conclusions, but the fact that it wasn't reported on, didn't get any airtime at all. I mean, that's pretty much someone giving you their spin. And, uh, you know, when we talk about relativistic thinking, the, the underlying uh, idea behind that is something that the Bible refers to in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 as the mystery of lawlessness. Mm. In other words, what Satan really wants to do as far as spiritual warfare is concerned is not uh, you know, to play demon, demon, who's got the demon? Oh, I got the demon of cussing. I need to have that exercise. No, that, that's not where you, you know, or, or someone who's possessed and their neck turns around 360 <laughs> degrees. That, that's not, he, he does his, his most damaging work if he can get us to believe things about ourselves about God, about what it means to know God, and about God's truth that just aren't so. Hath God said? Yeah, hath God indeed said, and that's been his agenda from the beginning. So, you know, when we see these sort of things happening, and we see, uh, say, groups like the uh, anti-judicial reform protesters saying, well, I don't don't know what we're protesting, we're just kind of out here, Um, you know, seems like fun, and everybody gets all fired up, and obviously the organizers of these protests have uh, a, a decided agenda. But even the standard of reasonableness, uh, that's totally in the eye of the beholder. Mm. And what it says is there's no right, there's no wrong, it's my opinion. And the problem with there's no right, no wrong, just my opinion, it sounded groovy 
when someone with bell bottoms and a leather fringe jacket and flowers in their hair was telling it to you. But one of the things you discover is this, as soon as you throw out the idea of absolute truth that's binding on all people that is given to us by God, that we are under God's truth, well, what happens? Well, if we're no longer under God's truth, under his authority, someone else is gonna step into that vacuum mm. and impose their authority upon you based upon their world view. Uh, another name for that is tyranny. Uh, the only time that governments have resisted the tyrannical urge have been, say, governments that took seriously, we hold these truths to be self-evident, mm. that all men are created equal and are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights among the life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Well, we're one nation under God, not over God, but under God, singular, mm. right? The God of the Bible. So uh, as soon as you throw that out and pluralism wins the day and relativistic thinking, you know, well, okay, suddenly we've got uh, drag queens celebrating on the White House. And, uh, you know, well, who are you to say that's uh, wrong? Well, I think the vast majority of people in our country look at this and go, this is really, you know, someone uh, who's a child uh, thinks that they, they are in the, the wrong gender and, uh, you know, a tax-supported government entity uh, a hospital will say, well, come on in. Uh, we won't have to tell your parents about this. We're going to start giving you puberty, puberty blockers, and uh, we'll even do um, sex change operations on you. Uh, and, you know, again, uh, the uh, federal government will be your, uh, your rod and staff to comfort you mm. in the midst of all this. Well, what's the root of all this? If there's no right and there's no wrong, if there's no way of saying this is what makes a man, this is what makes a woman, this is what's true, this is what's false, this is the true and living God, these are false gods. If you throw all of that out, right, we're in big time trouble. Hmm. We're right back in the time of the book of Judges. And uh, you know, we were talking at Calvary Christian Fellowship uh, yesterday about Acts chapter 12 or an individual that really had no standards aside from his own self-promotion, a guy named Herod Agrippa, mm. uh, killed James, the, the brother of John, was fully intending to kill Simon Peter. God intervenes. Uh, he goes out and makes this speech before the people of Tyre and Sidon and because they wanted to kiss up to him because he was wearing a fancy uh, silver-colored uh, outfit. So the voice of a man, uh, not the voice of a man, it's the voice of a God. Uh, we thought you were wonderful, but now we realize that you are a true God. And immediately at that point, we were told an angel struck him. He was consumed by worms and died. Josephus mentions one of his final statements. He goes, behold, your God is dying before your eyes. Hmm. Uh, so, you know, how do you get into that mess? Well, you're no longer under the authority of God. But that doesn't mean that God says, oh, all right, you know, uh, I'll, I'll just take my act elsewhere, hmm. have fun. Uh, sometimes God will punish sin by letting people have what they want. But it doesn't mean that there isn't a righteous judge over all the earth, and it doesn't mean mm. that sin doesn't have consequences for individuals or for a people. So, you know, the real battle, I guess what I'm trying to get around to say here, my point, and I do have one, is <laughs> that, that the number one thing that we have to realize is the number one hill that we gotta die on is the hill of absolute truth. Mm. Has God indeed spoken, mm. you know? Has God indeed said? Uh, we have to answer in the affirmative, mm -hmm. or we end up in the same situation as Adam and Eve in the garden, 
and uh, the same situation that Israel was like mm -hmm. during the time of Judges and the same disaster that caused the fall of Jerusalem not once but twice. Man feeling like he knew better than God, uh, rejecting God's truth even was presented to us personally in the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, our, our nation, America, America, God shed his grace on thee. Mm. Uh, yeah, he did, and he does. Uh, but uh, when we start really playing around with this sort of thing, you know, people are like, well, you know, I just can't believe, like, all the corruption. And, you know, how does a person who got elected mm. to the legislature and they were a school teacher suddenly have uh, $17 million in the bank? Well, yeah, like I tell people about ministry, uh, there's a lot of money to be made in religion if you have no ethics. Mm. There's a lot of money to be made in politics or business if you have no ethics. But sooner or later, that turns around and bites you. Sooner or later, there's a price to be paid. Sooner or later, Galatians chapter 6, verses uh, 6 and 7 says, Don't be deceived. God isn't mocked. Whatever man sows, this he's going to reap. So we need to be very careful about this. And uh, again, a lot of this is playing out before us mm -hmm. in the headlines. Yeah, you know, like Romans 1, how people will be given over to debased mind. And, yeah. And, and we have to remind ourselves and our culture what Paul reminded those he was speaking to on Mars Hill in Acts 17. Yeah. God has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, uh, enough of this. Let's get to the questions. Yeah. Uh, we have a question from... Adruin, gosh, that sounds like a Tolkien elfish name. It's awesome. Yeah. Uh, Adruin. I hope I'm saying that right. If I'm not, I apologize. But uh, where did God come from? It doesn't make sense. How can God always have existed? What, what did he do all the time before anything or anyone was created? Well, there's a couple of really interesting statements you make there, Arjuin. <laughs> uh, first of all, you associate God with time. Um, we process everything, Arjuin, by the... Uh, realm of time. We swim in it. Why? Because we live in a physical creation. Uh, as soon as God created the heavens and the earth, there was also not just matter and energy, but physicists will tell you uh, there was also time. Time is a function of living in a physical creation. However, the Bible tells us something very different about God. Jesus said, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. In other words, God is not part of this creation. God is the creator of this creation. He is above and beyond matter, energy, and hence time. So when someone asks the question, you know, uh, you know, who created God? Well, what we're really falling into here, Arjun, is the idea of having God play by our rules, right? Uh, I live in an existence that is bound by matter and energy and time. Therefore, if I'm going to believe in God, God has to, in a sense, lower himself to play by my rules, my understanding. The, the, the first question that I always ask people is, is it possible that God is greater than your perception of reality? Is that possible? Yeah, yeah, it is. Well, one of those ways that God is greater than our perception of reality here is the fact that he is beyond time. You know, when he introduced himself to Moses in Exodus chapter 3, uh, Moses asked a really important question. Who shall I tell the people of Israel has sent me? And then God answered in a really interesting way. He said, tell them I am has sent you. I am 
that I am has sent you. You know, you read the book of Revelation, Arjuna, and one of the ways that Jesus introduces himself is he introduces himself as the one who was and is and is to come. In fact, in the book of uh, Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, passage that gets quoted a lot around Christmas time, it says, but uh, from you, O Israel, uh, 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 but from you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, excuse me, too small to be among the clans of Judah, shall come forth a ruler from my people whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. Uh, the word from everlasting in Hebrew is the word haholam. It literally means beyond the vanishing point. Uh, so far back we can't even comprehend it. Uh, time immemorial, eternity past, if you will. So when the question comes up, you know, who created God? Well, we have a creator, right? So we assume that everyone has a creator, even our creator. But the problem is as soon as you make that assumption, you say, well, who created God? Uh, and you impose the idea that God needed a creator, well, you've got this infinite regression because if God needed a creator, then who created that creator and so on and so on and so on. It was like those uh, goofy uh, alien movie knockoffs uh, like Prometheus that talked about <clears throat> the engineers that, mm -hmm. that made us as human beings, that we were like some failed uh, bioweapon experiment mm -hmm. that they were putting together. Well, the question always comes up. They go, well, they were our, you know, they were our creator. They were our God. Okay, well, but who created the engineers? Uh, you know, it, it begs the question, mm -hmm. if you will. Uh, and, you know, when we take a look at passages uh, like Psalm 91, uh, this was, uh, Psalm 90, I should say, this was written uh, by Moses, and it's really, really a powerful thing. There, Moses said, Lord, you've been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Now, remember that, that word that we used in Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, haholam? This is haholam, haholam. In other words, it's emphasizing the eternal nature of God. Hmm. So, when we ask, okay, God has always existed before he said, let there be light or <clears throat> created the heavens and the earth. What was he doing during that time? Well, once again, I'm using my way of processing reality and I am putting it on God. You're using temporal language like saying always or when, what. Yeah. You're, yeah. you're using yeah. language and, that is time-centered. And, and, and I get it because this is the, the water we swim in. <laughs> uh, to, to to try to describe someone with an eternal pre-existence to us who, one thing we know about ourselves, we had a beginning, we got an end. You know, that the life on this fallen planet teaches us everything. That's right. It's almost like trying to explain a sunset to a fish that lives its entire life 3,000 feet below the surface. Mm. You know, it doesn't mean the sunset doesn't exist. It just means it's beyond mm. their realm of, of dealing with things. You know, and so, uh, you know, when we say who created God, it's almost like saying, who's that bachelor married to? You know, well, yeah. we've completely jumbled our terms. Because, if I travel west, how far do I go until I get to east? Right, exactly. <laughs> you know, and, and so we have to be very careful about that. What was God doing in eternity past? Uh, Jesus gives us a hint about this. Mm. In uh, John chapter 17, I really encourage you to read through this because it's called his high priestly prayer. It's like the last really in-depth picture of the prayer session that God had with his heavenly father, that Jesus had with his heavenly father before he died on the cross. 
But one of the things he mentioned is he uh, wanted to share the glory of God that he experienced before time began. In other words, God, the Bible says, is one God who exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're distinct in person, but one in unity is God. That's the doctrine of the Trinity. It isn't that there's three gods. They're one in essence as God, but uh, there are three, I guess Don Stewart, our friend, would call them three centers of consciousness, if you will. And so what was God doing before he created the heavens and the earth or anything else? He was enjoying a love relationship with himself. He was completely self-sufficient. There was no need on God's part to make people like you and me. He completely enjoyed that, that experience. But because God is creative, because God is loving, because God wanted to demonstrate his grace and his truth in this world, he made the heavens and the earth. And he made us as human beings with uh, the capacity to be image bearers of his, uh, made in his image and likeness, with the ability to say yes or no to a relationship with him. And that's really been the way uh, this created universe has played out since that time. Uh, the, the other wonderful thing uh, is this, uh, God got involved in this fallen temporal universe that we live in when he became a man in the person of Jesus Christ. And I love that about the Lord because it doesn't help me if the Bible says God is spirit. I don't understand what an essentially spiritual being is like. I mean, I have glimpses, I have little inklings, but uh, when Jesus became a man, he said, he who's seen me has seen the Father. You know, the, the Bible says that, uh, you know, we had prophets and we had teachers in the times past that revealed bits and pieces about God in Hebrews chapter one. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, who is the express image of his likeness and the outflowing of his glory. In other words, everything we need to know about the person of God, we see in the person of Jesus Christ. And he was willing to enter into this funky, fouled up, limited creation we live in to show us what that's all about. So heavy question, but yeah. not a question that doesn't have an answer. Mm -hmm. You know, we just have to understand we as human beings can't be like that ugly American tourist <laughs> who goes to a foreign country and says, why don't everybody speak English around here? We're going to get a good hamburger, you know, and you're in the Middle East someplace. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you have to realize that God operates by different principles mm -hmm. and has a different uh, kind of existence than we do. Mm. Good answer. Yeah. Good question. It's, uh, we get that a lot. Uh, especially the who made God question. And then, like you said, it, uh, it's, uh, you don't begin, beginningless things do not have beginnings or beginners because they didn't begin. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for that question. And I uh, hope that was satisfying to you, Arjun. And I hope, I, I apologize if I butchered your name. <laughs> I, I probably did as well. <laughs> well, Nicole wants to know, um, I ask, how do you move on from adultery? The Bible tells us that adultery is wrong yet we're told to love thy neighbor and turn the other cheek but how do we use the word to stop the hurt the word meaning the bible well i think uh, one of the most important things uh, that you've got to have under your belt and the, the the questioner's name again was nicole nicole one of the 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 most difficult things uh, about adultery is that it takes a relationship that god designed to be the safest place and it turns it into the least safe place. Mm. It takes a place that is supposed to be the one place that you can go and know that you can trust that person implicitly. You can let them see a side of you that nobody else ever gets to see. 
uh, what we call intimacy. And it takes that intimacy and it trashes it. Hmm. That's why God is so down on that. Also, it's a uh, very important picture of the relationship that God wants to have with us. And when we allow other things or other gods or other people take the place that God has in our lives, you know, the boy, read the book of Hosea. Uh, God likens uh, his relationship with Israel to Hosea being called to marry a woman who was hell-bent on committing adultery many, many times. But God called Hosea to find this woman when she was at her absolute worst. Uh, she had gone back to her old ways. Uh, she had been sold in the slave market and now was up for bid, you know, at bargain basement prices because she'd been so abused. And Hosea bought her back and took her back and reestablished her as his wife because God was going to do that for Israel too. Well, you know, we take a look at when adultery gets involved with our relationships. It is nothing to underestimate. There is no more devastating pain, I think, that a person goes through relationally than finding out that that person you thought you're going to live happily ever after with uh, has been uh, completely untrue and is completely shattered and broken uh, God's marital covenant. There's no doubt about that. But the other thing is, and it kind of goes back to that Hosea deal, it also uh, creates an incredible opportunity. You know, I think it was John F. Kennedy who first pointed out that the uh, Chinese character for crisis is, uh, is or uh, for crisis is made up of uh, two different characters. One of them is danger and the other is opportunity. Well, when we find ourselves in a situation where, you know, say our spouse has been unfaithful or maybe even you know, you're the person who was unfaithful and you just don't know how to rebuild the bridges, you know, there is that danger of allowing bitterness and resentment and uh, a lack of forgiveness to consume you. And uh, there's uh, a real temptation there because especially if you are on the offended end of all of this, you can really build a good case of saying, well, I wasn't untrue, that other person was untrue, and almost feel justified in your feelings of a lack of forgiveness. But the Bible tells us something. The Bible tells us that uh, in the book of Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 2, that we are to forgive others just as God in Christ has forgiven us. Um, I know that sounds really sloganeery. Uh, sounds kind of cliche, but hear me out on this. There is no way that you and I, in our own power and our own strength, can forgive people who have hurt us on that kind of a level. It requires a miracle to take place. Mm. But here's the miracle. Uh, the Bible tells us that the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. The Holy Spirit indwelling us can love through us even people who are absolutely unlovely when jesus died on the cross he said father forgive them they know not what they do and he wasn't just you know saying the right thing he really meant it uh, because that was you and that was me at that point that same love of jesus christ can flow through us and begin to change and transform our heart now i'm not suggesting that it's going to happen overnight pray a prayer you know ask jesus to love through you you're going to feel 100% better. You might, uh, but that's the first step. And just say, okay, Lord, every time I start to feel resentment and bitterness towards this person or anger about what has happened or even shame if 
you're the one that has, you know, burnt the bridge, so to speak. First, go to God and ask for forgiveness. Take that as God's not-so-subtle tap on the shoulder, uh, saying, you know, um, you may be even trying to do the right thing and be forgiving, but you're never going to be able to do it without my strength and without my power. Mm. Ask for the filling of the Holy Spirit. If you're the one that created the breach, come to God and understand that just as Hosea was sent out to the slave market to buy his adulterous wife back, so Jesus pursued us and reconciled us to himself, not when we had it together, but when we were yet sinners. Mm. And, uh, you know, if it's shame that's tapping you on the shoulder or if it's resentment and bitterness that's tapping you on the shoulder, you know, you can look at that as two ways. The danger is taking that as an opportunity to indulge our fallen fleshly nature, and that's not going to get you anywhere. The opportunity is to be able to, by faith, say, okay, Lord, I believe in the power of your spirit to love through me. So right now in this moment, I know you've already forgiven that person. You died for their sin on the cross. I know you've already forgiven me for all my sins by dying for me on the cross. Please, Lord, let that love fill my heart right now. And, you know, I'll, I'll tell you, um, you know, I won't go into all the uh, gory details, but, you know, that's an area that I know pretty well. Um, the thing that I will tell you is this, especially uh, when the wounds were really fresh and we're really trying to pick up the pieces, the hardest thing for me was wanting to do the right thing but not finding the power to do it. And when the Lord finally revealed to me that he wanted to love and forgive through me in this situation, it was like a 100-pound weight went off my shoulders. And it doesn't mean that, you know, I didn't have my stumbles and going back to the same old things and somebody brings something up or I see somebody or some other resentful thing happens. Oh, yeah, that, 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 that happens. But, uh, you know, I think Christian maturity you know, some of you ask, what's a, what is a really mature Christian all about? It's not somebody who never stumbles, but it's somebody who's closing the gap between the time you stumble and the time you turn back to God and seek his forgiveness, seek his power, and seek his help. That, I think, the, 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 the closer we can bridge that gap, the better off we're going to be. Because we're all going to stumble and we're all going to fall till we see the Lord face to face. We say we have no sin, we lie in the truth not in us. But if we confess our sin, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He wants to change us from the inside out. Mm. And uh, boy, the situation you're describing there, Nicole, uh, it's painful and it's horrible and it's nothing anybody should ever go through. Believe me, I understand. But uh, it's also, I would say in my life, it was probably one of the greatest opportunities for personal growth mm. I ever had. I can agree with that. Yeah. So... I hope that helps. Thank you, Nicole, and we uh, we we understand and uh, agree with you. That's there's no more difficult thing to have to deal with than the unfaithfulness of your one flesh partner. Yep, it's absolutely. Uh, Yari, we have question for uh, time for one more question. I think maybe um, a couple. Yeah, maybe <laughs> speed yeah. round. Uh, Yari was asking about healing, and I don't. I'm not going to read the whole comments, but Yari wanted to know about the word of faith movement. In circum circ uh, certain circumstances, does it require faith and motivation to be healthy? Like, is the word of faith movement uh, correct at all when it comes to the subject of healing? If uh, and then a little example: if I'm paralyzed, can I train my brain to be healed, or is that just complete nonsense uh, and so on? <laughs> yeah, well, I th uh, you know, uh, I I do know a guy who was. Uh, 
paralyzed in an accident and uh, was able to, you know, again, practice some, you know, physical forms of exercise and slowly but surely he got his feeling capacities back. Probably a miraculous story. But, uh, but as far as the word faith movement goes, what it really kind of comes down to is this, and I'll just condense this down as quickly as I can. Uh, does God heal? Yes, absolutely he heals. Uh, he heals according to his will, according to his timing. Uh, does God uh, sometimes postpone that healing until we see him face to face? Yeah, you know, there have been times where I've seen God heal, and there's been times where I've seen God choose not to heal in a physical sense. Uh, it's like Acts chapter 12. Uh, the Apostle James was beheaded by Herod Agrippa, and Simon Peter was miraculously delivered. Each of them had a different race to run for the glory of God. But, uh, you know, nobody was criticizing James for not having faith. And it's really interesting that Peter was set free when the church was praying earnestly. But when he came to tell them that he'd been set free, nobody believed that he'd actually been set free. They told the little girl who came in and told them that he was outside, that she'd lost her mind. So it's not a question of faith and kind of ginning myself up and getting to a place where, you know, I've, I've worked together. And that's where the faith movement, I think, goes astray. It, it, it presumes to tell God what his business is in a particular situation. The cure for that is praying in Jesus' name. Mm -hmm. How do we pray in Jesus' name? We pray like Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Now notice it's a, if it be your will sandwich there. And that's the best way you honor God. You take what matters most to you, especially in a situation of healing, and you give it to the Lord and say, you handle it, Lord. You always do what's right. Amen. We'll see you again tomorrow. Thank you, and God bless God you. God bless you. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.